0: Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is the place to connect to who you truly are. We're bringing PhDs, experts, and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world. I'm Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, author, and TEDx speech writer and booker, and I'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode. Okay, U-Turn, friends. It's Ashley Stahl here, and I'm so excited to bring award-winning therapist Catherine Woodward Thomas onto the show. She's the New York Times bestselling author of Conscious Uncoupling. If you haven't heard the book, Five Steps to Living Happily Even After, she also has her bestseller called Calling in the One. She runs courses, Around this book and around this concept, and I want to ask her about all things calling in the one, which is seven weeks to attract the love of your life. Um, I know so many of us, especially in the wake of the pandemic, are in a deeper state of reflection on are we in the right relationship? How do we choose the right relationship? And I feel like Catherine is the perfect guest to be helping us process this. So, Without further ado, um, Catherine, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Oh, it's really great to be here with you. I can
1: already just, you know, hear the thoughtfulness of your questions. So I'm I'm really inspired by what you're up to, Ashley. Thanks for including me.
0: Thank you for being here. And I I know that you have gotten so much recognition for your work. And I I found after listening to a lot of your work that it feels very original, like and it's so refreshing to Hear original thought. So uh, I know that, you know, the Calling in the One book recently got another bump uh, and another boost, and it's been making an impact for a really long time. Um, tell me a little bit about who the ideal person is to pick up this book, because I imagine someone who's married, maybe they don't want to pick up that book, but maybe their truth is they're not in the right relationship either. So just a little bit around the inspiration for this book and who really should be reading. Oh, great.
1: Really beautiful place to start. I mean, the book was, I, I'm i happy to, to tell you that I didn't really create much of anything of merit out in the world until I was a bit older in life. So my 20s and 30s were characterized by a lot of challenges, a lot of trying to find myself, a lot of trying to find the right relationship, and a lot of heartache along the way. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote Calling in the One uh over 20 years ago when I had just turned 40 and I had not managed to overcome my kind of difficult patterns in love. I had a particular thing for unavailable people and uh, you know, people who are quite narcissistic and self-involved. And I just seemed to attract in the wrong kind of love no one I could really root down and make a home of and I just longed to create a family of my own so it felt quite tragic I felt quite victimized and quite sad about it and you know like a lot of us just making the best of whatever life brings your way and still creating beauty and goodness as best we can but it wasn't until but I was doing a lot of work on myself and it wasn't until I actually um, began to study metaphysics and joined it with all that I knew to be, you know, around the realm of psychology because I am a psychotherapist, and and began to source not just from figuring out my past, but also who I was committed to becoming. So it was actually it's very congruent with what you're talking about here: living from the truth of my value, not from the trauma of my wound and beginning to align myself with a future where i was happy in love where i was fulfilled in love even though i had no experience with that on a personal level at all so i t- i started actually with the future by declaring an intention to be engaged by my 42nd birthday it was 8 months out i had no prospects for a husband But I began to actually live into that future, not like I was going to make something happen, but really as an inquiry of who would I need to be being Mm -hmm. in order to happen and to go well when it did happen. So I really discovered and stumbled upon how fluid our identity is and that we're not bound to continue to create from the false, what I call a false love identity, which had me, you know, a perfect match for people who were narcissistic because I wasn't centered in my value. I didn't really feel like I could have, you know, the right to take up space. I was kind of coattailing on the overconfidence of other people. And um, I was confused about love um, being chemistry as opposed to care. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those things I had to really sort through and it didn't happen until I really stood for kind of an unreasonable future. So the people that the book is best for are people who are kind of resigned, mm-hmm. kind of given up hope who, who secretly fear at this point. I mean, you can point to all the reasons you don't have the right relationship The dating culture is really screwed up. There's hardly any rules anymore. People are changing. People are transient. People expect sex on the first date. I mean, there's just kind of a crazy-making wealth of information that contradicts each other all the time. So there's a lot that you could look at. You could say, well, my career doesn't really allow me to meet people, the city I'm living in. You know, I'm living in a gay part of town, and I'm straight. We have a lot of reasons but I think we're secretly wondering, too, if maybe something is not right about us and about who we are. Mm-hmm. So the book is, is really addressing the core consciousness that we bring into relationship. And it begins to look at ourselves as 100% responsible for how our patterns are showing up, which doesn't mean that we're at fault. For the patterns, because they usually got set up in our childhoods and we're not responsible for anything that happened back then, but we are responsible for how we're showing up now in the present that's perpetuating those patterns and continuing to create relational evidence for the false beliefs that we formed when we were young.
0: I love. I love that your book is also broken into these seven different weeks, and you know when you read the book, and those of you listening, highly recommend you check it out. Um, week one just being all about preparing for love, which I feel like sometimes these love books move straight into like what you need to do, but there is so much preparation, and you talk a lot about like expanding our capacity to love and to be loved. Um, one question that came up for me, and I want to dive more into this is there's a lot of people out there that maybe they're dating and they're in something that's good, right? But they, they're they not sure if it's, quote unquote, the one. Um, and it's yeah. such a fine line between holding your standard of like what you want and and really being clear and accepting that like nobody's perfect. Um, yeah. And it's like, where is that line between high – having high standards and being kind of commitment phobic or in our patterns. So can you share anything about that or what kind of ethos or way of thinking you've adopted over the years as writer of these sorts of books, as a therapist to help people kind of make a decision? Um, And then I want to get more into the steps of the book. The best way to learn a language, immersion, living where the language is spoken and just using it every day. But if that's not in the cards for you this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by more than 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. And since I personally haven't been in France for a while, I love to hop on to Babbel for a few minutes every day and just keep my French up to par. Babbel even helps me with my accent, my pronunciation, so that on my next trip, I'll feel confident stepping off the plane, ready to chat with anyone. Here's a special from Babbel limited time deal for our listeners right now to get 55% off your subscription, but only for the U-Turn community at babbel.com slash U-Turn. So you can get 55% off at b-a-b-b-e-l dot com slash y-o-u-t-u-r-n. Rules and restrictions may apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is just here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap, or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, they give you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e commerce in the entire United States, and they are the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award winning help is there to support you and your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash u-turn. Go to shopify.com slash y-o-u-t-u-r-n now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopif com slash u-turn.
1: It's such a nuanced and intelligent question, and there's so many ways to answer it. Yeah. So if you're somewhat love avoidant, which means that you have a core consciousness on some level, that relationship is going to take something from you as opposed to give something to you. And on some level, it reads as dangerous, like you're going to give up too much of your life or your calling to to commit to to one person, then you're going to stay in this constant picky place with people where, you know, well they're not quite ambitious enough, they don't work out quite enough, I don't like that they eat meat, you know, so you're going to kind of find a lot of things that don't really sit right with you. Um, So you kind of have to know yourself truthfully to be able to choose wisely and well. I think so. It, so and and I don't think we can ever shortcut our core consciousness that we formed about love and the core beliefs that we have about love. So so calling in the one, you know, makes that very accessible. A lot of us have um, these kind of nebulous issues, like self esteem issues or codependent issues but they stay sort of in some vague unconscious. And then we feel kind of victimized by our upbringing or by the lineage that we were born into because we inherited certain patterns, but they stay stay kind of looming over us as though we never quite get to the bottom of them. What I like to do, and I really want all of us to do it right now just as you're listening, is just to actually notice that when you get disappointed, there's a, a kind of collapse inside of you somatically. You can actually notice where you feel the disappointment in your body, and and let's let's say disappointed in love in a familiar way. Somebody doesn't choose you. Somebody doesn't call you back that you had hopes for, or you're in a relationship and you know you're they didn't quite get your birthday right or something. So there's this collapse internally into this feeling of disappointment, and you want to take a moment to be with yourself and name that feeling. You actually ask yourself, sweetheart, what are you feeling right now? And see if you can actually name it. I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling disappointed or I'm feeling disheartened. You know, all feelings have, you know, their own little flavor. So you want to see if you can name it accurately. And then you want to ask yourself um, how old you are and what the story is that you're carrying in that part of your body. What's the default sense of self that came up in response to that disappointment? I'll never be loved. I'll always be alone. Love is for other people. See, I'm not enough, no matter how hard I try. There's some way that we default to a particular story, and there's an age to that self. And what we have to learn how to do is to wake ourselves up from that story. Because if you try and generate the fix from that center, you will end up showing up in ways that perpetuate that story. So for example, if you're in an I'm alone story, you're going to stay in a relationship that's not really great for you because you're terrified of being alone. You're afraid that no one will ever be there. So you're, you're, you're kind of captivated now by that story. Or you're going to avoid conflict because in your world, conflict is the beginning of the end. And inside of avoiding conflict, now you're self-abandoning. So you're leaving yourself alone. And you're also failing to root the relationship down because studies will show that relationships really bond in conflict that's well-navigated. So there's all sorts of ways that we really are the source of our experience. So I like to start with this question, who is the I in I love you? Mm. The other thing that I do in Calling in the One, because a lot of people do take the Calling in the One course who are ambivalent about the relationship they're in. And rather than try and fix that relationship, I have them actually take a stand for the future of love that they want with or without this person, this person or someone better. And you have to really be brave to do that because it's scary to even open yourself up. If you think you're living with a glass ceiling of potential in the relationship to actually take a stand and set an intention to be in- incredibly happy in your relationship with a clear field between you such that you feel like this person is the one you can count on. This is the one you can't wait to tell your secrets to. This is the one you belly laugh with at night. This is the one you know who tickles your feet and rubs your head when you had a bad day, you know? So this is your person and your and this and and the relationship you're in delights you. So let's start there because in every relationship we all have a tendency at this stage of our development to point the other finger if the other person was just more like this or less like this then things would be better but what you find when you're in calling in the one and you're doing that journey of those seven steps those seven it's a written as a 49-day program when you're along the journey you start to see oh it, It's actually when I'm showing up like this, or when I'm showing up like that, and I see that I'm afraid to take risks here, or I'm, you know, blaming and shaming and not being responsible. Sometimes it's so easy to blame other people. I I just tell people, look, it's 97% the other person. Let's just get that out of the way. What's your 3%? What's your 3%? Because it's probably subtle, like I'm not speaking up. I'm more connected with their feelings and needs than my own. Um, I'm skipping over the red flags. I'm, you know, dimming down my own inner knowing. I'm I'm not having the courage to stand up and set a boundary, like all sorts of things that truthfully we think is small, but it's not small at all. It's actually really a big deal to not be doing those things. And um, and then to start to take the risks of engagement, which is where you really find out the truth. And you you give the opportunity to the other person to up-level and to follow your lead and to make mm-hmm. the relationship better. A lot of times we're deciding to leave a relationship without even really cluing the other person in. It's like we're just all alone in the relationship trying to figure it out in our head.
0: Mm-hmm. This touches on, yeah, 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 yeah. this touches on a really powerful point, which I think in my years in the coaching space and just watching Friends as well I feel like there's t- two core patterns I I see as it relates to choosing a relationship. One is the people who they kind of get like this touch and go energy where they want to leave too early, like they want to exit, they want to jump, like flight. And then the other ones are the ones that are in agony because they feel like they're staying too long. Like, oh, why did I stay so long? I can't get out. Let me try and fix it. And they're just like constantly trying to fix, process, fix, process. Um, so I feel like those are two different people, right? Like the person who wants to stay and keep trying versus the person that maybe wants to leave very soon. Like they're a bit touchy. Um, and I love your advice to like, know yourself, because if you know which one you are, it can at least help you think about like, well, what is the medicine for that? So what would be, um, your message for someone who? wants to leave kind of easily. Like maybe they're, cause I think a lot of women and a lot of my friends, especially who are married, they had to let their fantasy die. And yeah. I want your feedback there. Cause I think a lot of people hold on to this fantasy of who they're going to call in when they're dating. Like he's, he's got a six pack abs and he's rich and he's this, I'm seeing it with people I know. And When they actually find someone great, I'm like, will they actually see how great this person is? Um, Because they're a human, they're not perfect. So just any feedback for maybe this idea of like the fantasy of what we want versus the reality of choosing someone. Well,
1: I'm thinking of other people who I learn from and, and admire. Uh, Polly Young Eisendrath, who wrote the book "Love Between Equals," who identifies the opposite of love not as hate, not as indifference, but as idealization. Mm. Right, idealization, where we're not we're not loving another person as they are. You know, good great relationships are really about recognizing um, the the vulnerability in one another and being a good match in terms of being able to um, pretty organically and naturally meet the core needs, the deepest needs of one another's personality.
0: I love that and it's also so slippery, right? Because it's this idea of what are our deepest needs. It's like when when a need is not getting met, suddenly it feels like the deepest need, right? Um like one thing that I hear all the time is around emotional availability. Usually in a couple, one person is more emotionally in touch than the other. Um and that could be one of many different power struggles that presents. So, um when it comes to needs, what's your mindset about that? Cuz I feel like it could be very easy Uh, especially for the person who leaves really easily to be like, but I have, I I need this and I need this and I need this. And it's like, girl, you got to simmer down. We got to pick a few of these. Right. So like, what's your approach to that as people are going through the calling and the one framework over those seven weeks?
1: Well, we start there because first of all, what I find, I mean, what you're saying is a real phenomenon, but what I find also is that so many of us are confused about our healthy entitlement to to own our needs that we kind of pretend like the game is like, I shouldn't need anything from anybody, but life did not design us like that. We are designed to be interdependent. So, uh, and, and a lot of us, I think the core of uh, attachment woundings, whether that shows up as, um, as uh, anxious attachment or avoidant attachment, or any variation on that theme, is really um, a, a discomfort with our own dependency needs. Mm-hmm. So somebody is like, "Oh, I'm not getting this what I need from somebody." It's probably because their own need for that person is starting to show up, and that's what makes them anxious, and they do not feel safe needing another person. Now that goes back to your childhood, mm-hmm. but but it's perpetuated in your own relationship with you. Mm. So, if we think about like, oh, it happened in my childhood, then I'm kind of stuck with that imprinting. But we're not stuck with the imprinting. The moment you understand what you did not get, you were not picked up in the crib, you were not made to feel welcomed in this world, you were not mirrored, you were not met. You have to cultivate that relationship with yourself on a daily, continuous basis. How are you doing, Catherine? What are you feeling right now, sweetheart? Like, mm. oh, can- you're feeling. You're pretty excited talking to Ashley. She's pretty wonderful. How else are you feeling? I feel stimulated in the conversation. Oh, that's so cool. What do you need, sweetheart? I need a nap after that. I need to go for a walk and take a break. So there's always this inner connection Mm -hmm. to yourself. So you are always connected to your own feelings, your own needs, and therefore know how to express them. And you also know how to distinguish between your unhealthy needs and your healthy needs. And this is where a lot of us are confused. So your unhealthy needs are going to be needs that are kind of based on an inner deprivation from a false center, a belief that I'm not wanted, I'm always alone, I don't belong, I'm too weird and different for anyone to really get me, you know, whatever that is. I find that there's 21 core beliefs that most of us circle around and uh, each one of them has—is there like flavors of ice cream? Each one of them has different oh. ways of plating. Weird ice cream more. store. <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: Stick ice cream flavor friends. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. Or or somehow your your consciousness picked your flavor when you were three or three mm-hmm. months, maybe three weeks in the womb or something. Uh, maybe you were born into the "I'm not enough" family. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you kind of. just breathe that consciousness. But each of those strands of consciousness have different ways of relating. So if you have needs that are based on that, they're going to come up like, I need to be the most important person at every single moment of your life. You need to give me your full attention, right? It's like, there's a desperation to it. And they're actually really repelling. That's what we call needy. That's what none of us want to be. That's why we throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not going to need anything from anyone. I'm going to be fine on my own. Thank you very much. But again, that's not how we're designed. And um, I will tell you, when you actually get your healthy needs and a sense of healthy entitlement, and you understand that you're in a relationship with someone and part of looking for that relationship or even forming that relationship is to recognize that we are here under the contract to care for each other's healthy needs. Okay.
0: I want to even just put a pin in what you're saying, because you're so rich with information. So those of you listening, here's what I got, and there's so much I could get. But the thing that stuck out to me the most is this idea of sometimes when we're with someone, we're like, they're not meeting this really big need. But the question that I heard you ask, Catherine, is, is you needing this thing so much the actual challenge to look at? Is that your own inner work? And it's not to say that sometimes your need isn't your need and you need it, right? But sometimes it's almost like we are in like this deficit we're in this desperation to be filled up by someone else. And that might actually be the actual work. The issue is not them not meeting this need. The issue might just be like, you got to meet your own need with that. Like you're going too far.
1: And that is part of the first week of calling in the one is to recognize that others are taking their cues from us. And, you know, for me, I was a match for narcissistic people. So what was I skipping over? Well, I was skipping over um, my own feelings, my own needs, my own desires, my own agendas. I was organizing around the feelings and needs of other people. So I had to start meeting my own needs for um, visibility to start to see myself before I, I asked others to see me. Until I did that for myself, it's like even if they wanted to, they couldn't have seen me because I was presenting as somewhat invisible or I was speaking to them, telling them what I wanted, but through the filter of the lens of my belief that. Matt, you know, their beliefs are dimensional. They're not just, I'm invisible. They're also other people don't care about me, right? They have a relational aspect to them. So if you're speaking, you're going to finally stand up for yourself, but the lens through which you're speaking, the tone of voices, you know, Hey, I'm over here, even though you don't care about me, I'm going to tell you what I need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which of course is repelling. Mm-hmm. Like, get off my case, you know, woman, yeah. you know, it It's just so repelling and as as opposed to course correcting your own consciousness. Like this person actually cares about me. They probably would like to know what I need. And they might actually demonstrate that they care for me if I had the courage to tell them what I need. So let me assume the best of them. And let me say, look, I haven't spoken to you because I've lacked the courage. Truthfully, I'm used to feeling safe by just kind of disappearing myself but i'm going to try and be healthier
2: because
1: mm. i want our relationship to be mutual and healthy
2: mm.
0: what i'm really needing
1: from you is x y c
0: i love this and i feel like there's so many like i saw in your first week you talk or no your second week i believe it's you talk about unconscious patterns and like relinquishing those patterns can you, would, would these be what you would constitute as unconscious patterns? Because I think a lot of people aren't necessarily realizing that they're doing it. Um, oh, they don't. Yeah.
1: They don't. It's a whole piece of uh, of the work that I'm doing across the board in all communities is how are we the source of our own experience? Right. I don't mean w- explaining why you are the way you are. Yeah. Well, I'm shy because my mother and my father and my brother, and this happened in fourth right. grade. And you know what? All those things did happen. All those things are worthy of your attention. All those things need to be grieved. But if it's showing up in your life as a pattern right now, it's not about what happened 30 years ago. It's what happened 30 minutes ago when you sourced your value by overgiving
0: mm-hmm. without
1: an of reciprocity or without any clarity on reciprocity mm-hmm. right? And you're giving to get or you're or you're disappearing yourself because you don't want to be too much trouble. Yeah. so whatever those those things are. We, we are masterful at this stage of our development of explaining why we are the way that we are without being uh, clear enough to begin to show up from a different foundation and consciousness in a way that is reflective of our true value and of power
0: to create health and well-being and love. Hey, U-Turn friends, it's Ash here. And I've got to admit, my closet has been incredibly crammed with a lot of clothes, but nothing to wear. The solution? I decided to donate a ton of them and turn to Quince. They are the upgrade for high-quality, affordable pieces. Now I have a wardrobe of luxury essentials, that transitioned from one occasion to the next. And the best part, I stayed on budget. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I just love them. I recently got the Italian pebbled leather crossbody bag, and it is the perfect size for a purse when I'm out on a date night, traveling light, or just don't want anything bulky weighing me down. I really love what they're doing. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash U turn for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q U I N C E dot com slash Y O U T U R N to get free shipping. And 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash U-turn. I used to be one of those people who thought that they really didn't have time to prioritize wellness, but I recently came across Aloe Moves and now my entire mindset has changed. This app makes it so much easier for me to keep my wellness routine on track and because they have everything in one place, you know, there's yoga, Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, so much more. You all know I love a little recipe situation. From beginner to advanced, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will totally fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what I'm feeling for that day. Trying to get in a good sweat, then you've got to try their award-winning workouts, like sweat-inducing yoga flows, hit classes, or Reformers Pilates workouts, with or without weights. Or Find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for your more quiet moments. Unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to AlloMoves.com now and use the code AlloMoves30 for an exclusive 30 day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's A L O M O V E S dot com, code AlloMoves30. A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S 30, alamoves.com, code ALAMOVES30. Now let's get back into this week's episode. Okay, so here's a really good one and it's personal. So I feel like I really share much about my own relationship on here because my partner, he's so private and he's an introvert. But he's such a gem and I just love him. And one of our issues is that um, he... He is much more of an introvert, more cerebral. He's the smartest guy I've ever met. I'm more emotional, vulnerable. And so we have a little bit of a power struggle around vulnerability. Like I want him to be more vulnerable. And he's so committed to the work, which is one thing I love about him is like this guy will show up for anything like if I'm like, hey, let's go to this seminar, let's he shows up with notes on what's he what he wants to focus on. um but granted, like he's not, He's not very comfortable with verbalizing his feelings. It takes him a lot more work. And I think a lot of people have partners like this, which inspires me to share this. Um, So as we kind of get closer to deciding, should we get married? Are we a fit? What comes up for me is like, oh my gosh, like my own fear, right? Like my own wounds around like, are we going to feel like roommates? Are we going to feel like two bodies if there's not enough vulnerability happening between us? Like- our heads are connected but what about our hearts? Of course I have a lot of heart for him. Um but he's not much of a like a feelingsy sharer. So what would be your feedback on that? I think a lot of people listening probably have partners like that too or they're that person themselves. Yeah yeah. So I'm curious where you go when he shuts down. Mm. I would say, like, from a childhood standpoint, like, my dad, like, just, you know, like, he was very dysregulated, very stressed growing up. Um, So this feeling of, like, I'm not seen, I'm not, I don't matter, um, I'm not loved, like, I'm going to be alone in this relationship.
1: And inside that consciousness, do you shut down and just kind of
0: withdraw? No, I would say it probably makes me needier. Like I grab more, which is like the worst thing ever. Like needy is, you're so right. Needy is creepy. So um, <laughs> so I would probably grab onto more, like try to make him be vulnerable more, which is like clearly not going to work.
1: Well, but there's a hunger to be met. Right. And that's a viable hunger. That's a viable need. So, I mean, the, the, the needs we're talking about are not excessive. I need to be met. I need to be heard. Mm-hmm. I need to know that, that, that I'm safe here. I need to know that I'm respected. I need to know you're going to get out of your comfort zone to try and meet me, even though, you know, I speak a different language than you.
0: Well, so here's a question on on that for everybody listening is we're all working on different things, right? So if we look at my partnership, like you're saying, this is a valid need. I want to be seen and celebrated. And I want to hear how loved I am. He's, you know, the most affectionate guy ever, but the words are just not happening. So it's interesting because I feel like on one hand, we have these valid needs. We want to share them. On the other hand, we're all humans trying to grow and we have our primary growth areas with ourselves, with our partners. And some of these growth areas feel for me like life's work. Like I feel like my anxiety is life's work. So it's like this guy sharing how he feels could be life's work. So how do you navigate in partnership when what you're wanting might be like something that they want to give you, but it's a long-term project in your partnership?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this goes back to the ability to assess what we most need. And it's also the skill of staying out of disempowered meaning. So mm-hmm. when you don't so what your deepest need might be is really to be met. Mm-hmm. Your deepest need. I mean, you're meeting people where they are. You are in this podcast. Yeah. You're getting right to the core of it. You're so present mm-hmm. and available. You're meeting me and you're you're tracking my teaching in a way that's extraordinary. So this is really deep for you. So to be met is, I'm gonna say your core need. Mm. And to be with a man who is striving to meet you, who Mm. cares that that's your need, who's willing to do the work to really be there for you, who creates enough safety in the relationship and keeps turning towards, that's a relationship worth keeping.
0: Right. And no matter how much somebody strives and turns towards you, it still takes work, right? And growth is a little bit messy sometimes. So in terms of my partner, he might give me some words of affirmation. And then for a couple months, he's not actually moving forward. And then for a few months, he is. So how does somebody decide when to- try? You can create, you can create uh, more shortcuts
1: in, in the relationship because I think- So this is what I'm going to say is happening a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah. Inside of the collapse I was talking about too, I don't matter. My <laughs> needs don't matter. I'm always going to be alone no matter what I do that inside that collapse, that when he isn't meeting you, you kind of settle for less in the connection. Mm-hmm. And inside of the settling for less, there's a bit of a depression to it. There's a bit of a sadness to it. And you know, he's a great guy and you know, he loves you, but you can't quite get it. He can't quite get it. So in other words, the more you're in the collapse, you're not generating. The growth of the relationship mm. to meet your needs. So, wh- a lot of what I'm I'm wanting you to do is to learn how to, and this is for all of us. And this is the work I have been doing for years and on myself because I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm 65. So I've been on the road a long enough time to know how this goes over time. Understanding yourself is not the same thing as changing your life or changing your relationship. So there's got to be a time where we turn away from that. You start to say, you say, I'm going to optimize. My intention is to optimize and create the most amount of satisfaction and joy as is possible in this union. That's where you start is with that future.
2: Hmm.
1: And when you go into the collapse, you say to you, because she's only like four years old, right? right? You say to you, sweetheart. That's not what's happening here. Your feelings matter. Your needs matter. They matter to me. They do matter to my partner. You are loved beyond measure, and you have power here to grow this relationship to be even more satisfying, because that's actually what's true, because you have a willing partner. Yes. Then you're going to stay generative of continuing to build the relationship, because relationships ideally actually get better over time. They don't just, it's only when we collapse and we start to make a home of a dimmed down version of the relationship, that that's where we feel like, okay, well, this is, I guess, as good as it gets. And maybe I'm expecting too much and all that stuff. But I like, you know, I mean, if I was going to say one thing about how we're doing our relationships is that we want to learn the art of staying generative Mm. of love and generative of joy in our relationships that we have.
0: At the end of the workday, the last thing I want to do is grocery shop and sometimes cook dinner, which is why I've really come to appreciate factor meals. Eating better has never been so easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, Protein Plus, Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. There's no mess, no prep, just clear meals. Factor meals are ready to heat, ready to eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup as needed. That's something I can get behind. Sign up and save. I've done the math, and factor meals are less expensive than takeout. And every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So head on over to factormeals.com slash U turn 50 and use the code U turn 50 to get 50% off. That's code U turn Y O U T U R N five zero at factormeals.com slash U turn 50 to get 50% off. Now let's get back into this week's episode. You know, a lot of what you're sharing, and I think this has been one of the more powerful learnings I've had in relationship is around being in the paradox, because sometimes we are in a relationship where this person cannot yet meet this need, but maybe they're growing or maybe you're the person that you're working on growing and you're in a paradox. You want this need met. It's not being met. So you want to go into the collapse. And I love that you give that visual of the collapse. But instead of going into the collapse, you step into the paradox of, even though this isn't getting met, how can I be a beacon for more love in my relationship? How can I give? And it's not about being an empty person that gives from this empty cup, but it is about, I think, creating that space outside of your collapse. And I think that your point around collapse is there's so many people who that becomes their emotional home. like That's a comfort zone for them to go into the collapse, to live in the collapse. Um I know a lot of friends who are in their thirties and they're still dating. They want to find love. They want to have a family just like, you know, I really resonated with how you shared yourself at your 42nd birthday. Um, mm. and, and I think there's some, pro- probably some people listening right now that they're like, wow, I'm not in the right relationship. We've been, you know, trying to get this growth go on for years and I've stepped out of the collapse and I've been in the paradox and I've been giving and I'm tapped out and this need isn't met and I need to leave. Um, what would your message be for someone who's feeling like they're listening to our conversation and thinking like, well, shit, where do I begin? Because like, I'm not even the dating person. I'm like a few steps behind dating. I'm in the wrong thing. And I know you wrote conscious uncoupling. So I thought it would be fun to just ask you a little bit about that since you have such a genius around parting ways. Um, so what would be your message there for anyone listening? Well, I think, you know, it's always
1: to start with yourself. I mean, people who do calling in the one, and and you know, there's a lot of great resources. So I'm not just here to tout my own teaching, but I do love calling in the one as a way to, to kind of come home to yourself to be making any choices you're making, which matter as much as who you're partnering with in life. From a sense of wholeness, from groundedness, from a place of integrity in yourself, so that you're making the decision more from inspiration than desperation.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so it it has to do with taking a stand for your life and your future. I do, you know start with the beginning. start at the start at the end and work backwards from there, um and do, really begin to live into who would I need to be being to be, you know, at my most joyful in relationship and, and take stock of your 3% in this relationship? How are you co-creating the dynamic that you're finding so unsatisfying and start to work on that part of yourself? Because you're either going to outgrow that relationship and it will get very clear very quickly, or you're going to inspire the other person to, to begin to grow too. So rather than trying to get someone else to change, it's focusing on yourself. Conscious uncoupling, you know, was popped into the lexicon by Gwyneth and Chris, and it came to kind of symbolize uh, kind of a, an idealized, amicable divorce for the sake of the children. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily, I mean, it does, it is that, and I'm grateful that it's kind of created a new cultural conversation about how we can do this better, especially for the children or the communities that are impacted. Um, But conscious uncoupling was originally created as a way for the for us as individuals to move through a breakup, which for many of us is the most traumatic time of our lives, can be really just horrific. And to go through that in a way that leads us not just to be traumatized, but to actually grow and graduate from who we were in that relationship that co-created the toxicity or the or the the lack of satisfaction. It's also a way to end a relationship in a way that's completely aligned with your own ideals. It's based on kindness, love and respect, so you're not doing damage and you're not harming yourself moving forward. By dimming down your chances for love, you're actually growing and learning so that you have even a better, richer experience of love on the other side. So I wrote it in five steps, but the first three steps are all about you. Mm. They're all in you about how to take care of your heart, how to learn your lessons in a way that restores your own confidence in yourself and avoids you mistrusting yourself in love moving forward. And actually uses the breakup to uh, get you clear on what that false love identity is. I call it your source fracture story. The original break in your heart, like the I don't matter, or I'm alone, or I'm not good enough, that somehow we landed upon in childhood in response to whatever was happening or not happening in our environments. And how that consciousness tends to follow us around like the default place we go. And how to not just stay in that center, because breakups will land us back there faster than anything else, because it's a, such a disappointment. and Disappointment is the trigger for that story. And I think it's the source of prolonged grief, where you don't ever really get over it. Mm-hmm. So instead, three of, of conscious uncoupling, I'm actually helping people to wake up in a way they feel in their bodies, to what's really true about their value. And their power, their worthiness to, to love and be loved, their ability to create really great relationships, to complete that relationship that you're leaving, even if the other person has a story, even if you make mistakes, even if they did horrible things, to actually be complete with it and mm-hmm. to be able to move forward with like a, a sense of wholeness and freedom.
0: I love in calling in the one um, and, you know, consciously, I've, I've looked at and I've read both of them um, and I read one of them four years ago, another one two years ago, um, how you have these like bonus practices and exercises for people to take on. Um, I feel like there's a lot of myths about love that I almost want to just throw um, at you like um. I feel like one myth is opposites attract. Do you have a thought on that? Because I feel like sometimes they do and it's great, but sometimes it's a nightmare. You know what I mean? Like um do you have any thoughts on those sorts of
1: myths? Well, I think, you know, in terms of opposites attract, you know, you're not going to find someone who's a clone of you. So you have to make space for, you know, they're a morning person, you're a night person. Uh you're a vegan, they eat chicken and fish, you know, like there's differences. I mean, with my partner now, he is very slow and I'm very fast. So we're like the tortoise and the hare. And I have to cope with that, you know, because I'm like an action. I get an idea and I want to go right into action. He wants to think about it. He wants to map it out. (laughs) <laughs> to, like put it on the calendar for next Tuesday and it drives me crazy but it's great ideally if I can you know now I have a practice I just meditate when he does that. Okay, oh time to meditate and I just go inside I start to meditate like okay we're slowing down you know and I and I see the value in it so you have to create value in your oppositeness but the truth is is that you better find someone who actually has the same values as you Okay. So this,
0: this is because I feel like I had a client once and I've said this before on here, his core value was adventure. And when I asked him what that means, it was like skydiving. And then this other girl said adventure. And for her, that meant trying new restaurants. So I feel like it's, and I think you, you touch on this a little bit in your work around like really defining these core values, um, because how we hold them and what they mean to us, Is just as important as knowing what they are, you know, like somebody might value spirituality and they're spending four hours a day praying. Others, they just see it as a way of life and a mindset. Um, So taking a look at that. Okay. Another, um, I don't know if it's a myth, but people pretty much say that the sex is going to die when you get married. Like over time, it's just going to go on the back burner. It's going to get worse. Um, Do you have any thoughts about that? Like, You know, there is a lot of sad statistics. What's your two cents on that?
1: Well, it certainly doesn't have to. I think it's in the realm of this generative love. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that people have a, too high a tolerance. All of us have too high a tolerance for the little squirrely disappointments in the field where we're kind of, you know, collapsing, little mini collapses inside, or I guess I can't get my needs met from this person, or I guess this person isn't going to blah, blah, blah. If you stay engaged in a generative way, you learn how to engage all these things in a way that's loving and generative and inside of a commitment to realize the higher potentials of love with this person. I mean, it starts with, you know, you're together and the two of you, wouldn't it be great, the two of you to take that on together? Mm -hmm. So then you have a context for engaging certain things. So it's not always like, well, I'm unhappy with you because now, you know, now you're doing this or now you're not doing that, which does wear away, you know, at the foundation of goodwill. But if you're always kind of feeding love into the field, you know, how to, you know, put almost put money in the relational bank, um, you stay, uh, you stay truthful, you stay present with each other. There's not a lot of residue in the field. I think it's the residue in the field, the kind of feeling trapped. I mean, Esther Perel, doesn't she say that people have affairs because they don't, it's not so much that they're not in love with their partner, it's that they don't want to be that version of themselves anymore.
0: Mm, that's so powerful, making it about identity and using a right. way to have a new identity. Well, that actually touches on another myth I wanted to ask you about, which is, people feel like it's, you know, I hear people saying like, do you really even stay in love? Like, is that truly possible to be in love in 10 years or 20 years? Um, What's your take on that? I I would imagine love in a long lasting relationship is like a garden you have to keep taking care of. Um, And a lot of people think it has to be hard work, whereas I hope it has to just be effort. So do you have any thoughts on these myths? I like that you hope it's just effort.
1: Yeah, it's leaning in and you know, you do have to stay engaged in order to keep growing your relationship forward and uh, and to have it not be stale. You have to keep bringing yourself to the relationship and and literally care about that person's day, about that person's moods. So you keep it, it's a turning towards. That was a mistake I made actually in my first marriage. So my first marriage, when I called in the one I had a wonderful man. We were married for ten years, and then I got divorced, which is where I ended up creating conscious uncoupling from. But part of my, you know, post traumatic growth was really, you know, looking at how in the kind of neglectful, negligent atmosphere of my childhood, I didn't know how to actually stay engaged and keep turning towards. So I ended up kind of leaving Mark with my my work started flourishing, and then we had a child, and we got on opposite schedules. And it just it was just off my radar. So in my relationship now with Michael, I make amends by the I'm always engaged, always turning towards. I want to know every little detail of his life. I want to share things with him. So you know, it's cultivating that field of connection and love. So I, I I'm sorry, I forgot your original question now. What was the question you asked?
0: I love, I love that you, where you went with it. I mean, the ultimate question I think is a lot of people believing you can't really stay in love or that it takes a lot of work, like hard, it should be hard.
1: Okay, so it so here's the thing. When you let go of idealization, there is a stage. And and this is what I love about Polly's book, Polly Young Eisendrath, who wrote Love Between Equals. So I love her book because she actually says you'll go for like, you know, I don't know, six months to three years or something where you're in that idealization. But at some point you're going to start to see greater dimensions of who this person is, what their limitations are, what their weaknesses are what their blocks are you know where they're a little left of integrity or where they're a little different than you are all that kind of stuff and that's where true love
0: begins wow i love that yeah this has been such a beautiful conversation i know you have some things coming up um what can you share with everyone to get started in your ecosystem and learn even more from you your books are so amazing and original i'm so glad they're doing so well and that they made it out there um mm-hmm. And as an author, it's really inspiring for me because my book um, has been out for four years and it just randomly became a bestseller in Asia. But I've learned as an author, it's a slow burn getting your work out there. Um, so I admire your consistency. Um, where can everybody go? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, call Well,
1: com. Actually, if you go to com, you'll find things on calling in the one and things on conscious uncoupling. And I have a, a free master class that I'm doing throughout September. So I'm really grateful to be able to share that with people now. But um, if you just go to callingintheone.com, you'll find out about the free master class for calling in the one.
0: I love this so much. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me.